Složíš drab, ty jsi jist, hm? Hello and welcome back to Slushy Stop. My name is Nathan and I am joined once again by Alex and Jake. So we're back talking about Star Wars because here in a few weeks we are going to sit down and have a slaughter all out trivia bash to see who is the greatest at Star Wars trivia. So leading up to it, we are going through the movies one by one. Uh, if you didn't catch our last podcast, we talked about Star Wars. A New Hope. And so we're here today talking about Empire Strikes Back, which many people would claim is the worst of the series. Wrong. Um, and so that's why we're going to dissect it today to see why it is so terrible. Why do you say wrong? Empire is just so good. There's so many tiny little things. Obviously, it does the big things well, but it does all the small things really well, too. Um, and they're just, you know, iconic moments and uh and shots so did you prepare things i'm looking at so i have doesn't make good audio but i'm looking at him pointing at him (laughs) (laughs) yes as uh, we stated last time i am what's known as the organized one of the group because uh, as i've been re-watching these movies i have been actually taking notes and everything so uh me saying that star war that empire strikes back is the the worst on the bunch that was all yes trolling and everything i do think it is one of the best if not the best of the series and having watched it uh, i'll admit going into it i was trying to i was trying to be a little bit more uh uh i guess pessimistic about it trying to uh, really pull out some of the flaws in it and i found it kind of tough there were plenty of times where i actually noticed some things this time that are just great about it that i hadn't noticed before so I want to go into that real quick, because uh, one of the, one of the ones that really stuck out to me is there was a lot of these little setups and payoffs that you get in the movie that I just hadn't even noticed before. Um, so, for instance, the first one that comes to mind is back towards the beginning of the movie, which I'm assuming most people have seen it. They're on Hoth, and you know Han Solo is getting ready to leave. He's talking to the general. And the general just, he makes this offhand comment about how, you know, it's going to be tough to spot Imperial forces coming with all the uh, meteor activity in the system. And, I mean, it's a throwaway line. Like, you don't think anything about it, but that's a total setup for the payoff later of them going through the asteroid field. Mm, Which had never occurred to me prior to today. Yeah, because you just think that, oh, like, for the convenience of the story... They, yeah, there's an asteroid field yeah, that they, they go through to get away from the Empire. Yeah, and, you know, the line is more of a reference to, oh, it'll be hard to tell when the Empire ultimately gets here. Yeah. You don't think about how it connects to them going through the asteroid field later. That may be also why the Empire comes at a light speed too close to the system. Yeah, to mm-hmm. be spotted in time be spotted because of the asteroids. Because of the asteroids. Mm-hmm. Not that that, you know, gets that guy out of jail free because he dies. But um, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. So, there's, so there's a lot of little things like that. So that was, that was the, the first cool one that I saw. Um, another one is, you know, this is the first movie where uh, you see some new TIE fighters. You know, in, in Star oh, Wars, you had, the, you had the regular TIE fighter. You also had Darth Vader's, which was a modified version. How uh, weird is it to see Darth Vader flying a TIE fighter, by the way? 
Isn't that such a weird image? <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's the suit. Seeing Anakin in a ship was fine, but yeah, seeing yeah. this bulking black <laughs> mass with this cumbersome helmet. I like, have you now. In this tiny little cockpit is... I yeah, know, you, you it have might to, be you, about the way that they shot it or something. Yeah, yeah. You just you have to think his peripheral vision can't be very good with those flaps on his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> also, as the as the robot chicken, I don't want to rehash New Hope, but as the robot chicken skit does so well, like just imagine him floating in space after the the first Death Star is destroyed. Oh, well, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Oh, but yes, so so the, the, the bombers, yes, they get introduced in this movie. And most notably, you think about them taking them, bringing them out to uh, bomb the asteroid field to find the Millennium Falcon. Not Falcon, Falcon. Is it Falcon? So, okay, I guess we'll go off on a side tangent here real quick. I did notice in this movie, it goes both ways. Initially, Han hmm. refers to it as the Falcon and... Who else does? There's, I think, some more rebels, and I think even Vader refers to it as the Falcon Millennium. and everything. But then I think it's once Lando appears, he starts calling it the Falcon. He also calls Han Han. He also says Han. Yes, yeah. he's the one that calls Han. him There's Han. Still a chance to save us. But it's weird because I when think I was going Han's a bounty hunter. If I took my notes correctly, initially Leia calls Han Han, but then yeah, in Cloud City she starts calling him Han. I don't know if it's because of Lando or what, but she like waffles. Isn't a little there a bit. weird scene where three PO refers to him by first name as well? I think so. It's it's always struck me really odd. We're trying to save Han from the bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. I was always like, that's so weird to hear him call. <laughs> yeah, instead him, of Captain Solo. Instead of Captain Solo. I've never thought about that. It's always struck me as very odd. It's oddly impersonal, maybe especially for somebody like C three PO. I think it's maybe because he's talking to R two. And not to oh, another human. So, so, do you think the droids have their own sort of hierarchy? That is. Ooh, well, C three PO does kind of talk down um, about humans because he has that one line where he says, "You're quite intelligent for uh, for a human being," or something along those lines. Or is it, he's talking about Luke, right? Yeah, he's quite clever for a human being. Yeah, it's oh, almost like oh, a dear, backhanded dear. compliment in yeah. a way. <laughs> Very much. So. Most of you meatbags. Uh, uh, yeah, don't get into a uh, nice little Republic. I've always now. loved the cloud cars on Bespin. Yeah, like those are so cool. Yeah, like hot rod spaceships almost. Yeah, is what they look like. It, it's very American graffiti. Also, in a way, is it like Bespin? Everyone seems like super. That's a very middle class planet. Bespin. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone seems wealthy on Bespin, or I mean on Cloud City. Bespin's the planet, I guess. Well, they are living on. Cloud City. Lo- let's, let's break that down for a minute. That's true. They're Maybe, literally living in the sky. Is that an allegory? Is that a political statement? Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> back to Empire. Yes. Yes, back to Empire. So the bombers, they come out, but what I noticed this time is that there's actually a setup shot earlier in the movie where you're just showing like the outside of a Star Destroyer before the next scene, and you see some TIE fighters flying around, and one of them is a TIE bomber. So, hmm. like, they don't draw, you know, huge attention to it, but it's there to at least visually set up that, hey, these are going to come into play later on in the movie. Um, I mean, there's other little things like, I mean, so, some of the more obvious ones where, you know, Leia says something like, you know, I hope you're there when you make a mistake. And then, you know, Han then throws it back in her face later on. It's like, well, you said you want to be here when I made a mistake. So this could be it, sweetheart. Um 
But then even something a little more subtle that I noticed too is uh, with Luke, uh, you know, when he's on Dagobah and he's in Yoda's hut, he has that moment where he's trying to defend himself. He's like, yes, I am ready. And he like tries to sit up and hits his head mm-hmm. on the, uh, the top of the hut and everything because he's not aware of his surroundings or he's not being mindful of his surroundings. And I felt like that actually explains why when he's fighting Vader later on in Bespin, he falls into the uh, carbon freezing chamber. Like that always bothered me. Is like, why didn't he see that gaping hole? Yeah. Well, because he's terrible at being mindful of his surroundings. Mm. So of course he fell into it, and it got basically set up earlier in the movie that yeah he he sucks at yeah at that situational awareness. Yes, yes. Which I guess that kind of brings me to a, a kind of a he does, he does fall down a few holes in that movie, doesn't he? Because at the end he also falls down the giant hole. <laughs> Well, purposely. He does, but still. Which, I mean, honestly, kind of funny. I mean, this time I was thinking, wouldn't that be a, an amazing ride for, like, the new Star Wars <laughs> land? You have just this yes. series of tubes that you yes. get to slide through and everything that just end in a giant abyss that you fall into. <laughs> or, or imagine if they did it as a VR experience where, yeah. like, you get your hand cut off and everything. And, like, maybe you wear some sensor on your, like, a bra- sensor bracelet and it just, like... Shocks your shocks you a little bit, maybe when he cuts off your hand, so it gives you the illusion that your hand is gone, and then you're just cool. falling forever. That'd be crazy. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Yeah. End, up, end up in the hospital. Yeah, some mental trauma. Well, that's again, that's the thing. It's like okay, in this movie, Luke is starting to come into his own. Uh, you know, as Vader says, he's not quite a Jedi yet, but he is Ooh, growing. But he does still have his grounded moments where he makes some mistakes and things like that. Like, I thought it was funny that within the first 40 minutes, he already cr- he crashes two ships. First his speeder it's during true. the Battle of Hoth, and then his X-Wing into Dagobah when he lands. And I've always thought it was it was intentional and telling of his, where he is in his development that throughout Empire, his go-to weapon is a blaster. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, he's always reaches for the blaster right up until the end of the movie when he's mm-hmm. following Boba Fett and uh, Han's frozen body. You know, he's he has the blaster. Um, That's a very good point. I always yeah. thought that was interesting that he here he has like one of the coolest weapons ever, but he he defaults to the gun. Which you could say that yes, as part of his character shows it still kind of shows his lack of faith in the Force at that point. Right, right. That he'd rather trust you know the blaster over the hokey religion and the lightsaber. But you could also make the argument that, well, you know, a lightsaber would be too loud. He's trying to be incognito, so a blaster would be better at that. Um, The transition is also gradually made over the course of the movies. The only time you see him use the lightsaber at all in A New Hope is when he's on the Falcon, you know, training with the, the little droid thing. And then you never see him pull it out again. The entire time on the Death Star, it's just the Stormtrooper standard issue blaster. And then, yeah, all through Empire, he uses the lightsaber in the, only when he encounters Vader. Or the it, Wampa. Yeah, or the Wampa. But that's yeah, that's a good point. Why didn't he have his blaster then? I'm assuming. And like, I think it's probably because the lightsaber was just conveniently there in front also, of him. Also, like, 
I've never thought about this, but like, did the Wampas like take his weapons and store them? Like, I always thought it was weird that like his things had been taken from him. Like, did it? Did they pat him down? <laughs> like, no. I mean, it could have been a situation. The, does anyone know how he got stuck in the ice upside down? How did they do that? <laughs> they just breathed on the ice a lot to melt it, and then stuck his feet in there. Yeah, it was like a fifteen-minute process. <laughs> They're just standing there holding him. Their, sh- their shoulders are sore for two days afterward. <laughs> they have amazing muscles in their arms How did- so, so it was actually a relief when he got his arm cut off it's <laughs> yeah. like oh the pain's gone now <laughs> although he bleeds does the wampa bleed yes uh, a little uh, bit he doesn't necessarily bleed i don't think it's just a bloody nub there's just yeah a bloody nub. well when when okay so i guess we'll, we'll dive into the fact that yes watch i watched the special edition again and in the original theatrical version you don't get that shot of the full body shot of the Wampa after his arm is cut off. Those extra shots of the Wampa only came in during the special edition. Gotcha. Um, and so when you see him, he doesn't actually have blood coming out. It looks kind of black, almost like it was cauterized when it got mm. cut off. And uh, so I do want to say, by comparison, in this movie, the additions in the special for for the special edition of the Wampa, and then it's a, it's a lot of little subtle things in this one. Um, the only other main part really is kind of in Bespin, Cloud City, where you have some, mm-hmm. you have a couple of extra shots of the city in there when the Falcon arrives. Excuse me, the Falcon arrives. I'm going to um, continue to say Falcon, just so you. But then you also have some shots where in the theatrical version, like in the hallways and whatnot, it's it's a wall that's closed off that they basically just put windows in to kind of open it up and not feel quite as claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like some of those additions, since they weren't, they didn't obstruct from the movie mm-hmm. quite as much as some of the stuff that you got. Almost in. as if the movie was so well edited the first time that it didn't need any help. Well, I mean, A New Hope was didn't necessarily need the help either, and yet they still ramrodded some things in there too. That's a good point. That's fair. But at least they had enough sense to That's not fair. try to do too much with this one, thankfully. That is fair. Uh, how unhelpful is Obi-Wan Kenobi, by the way? You've been hanging upside down for, you know, who knows how long. You just cut a giant ice monster's arm off. You're freezing to death, presumably hungry, thirsty, exhausted. Obi-Wan shows up and tells you to go to Dagobah. <laughs> Like, could this not wait? Like, hey, like, I know I know your situation sucks, but you really need to get here as soon as possible. Like, you, this this couldn't wait. <laughs> like, sin, go get help, Lassie. Like, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. Can Can Obi Wan not appear to Leia or somebody? And, like, give him some coordinates. Also, like he he also waits right until Han is almost there. Like, Luke has once again presumably been roaming around the tundra for a while. And then, like, in the last couple of minutes before Han shows up, because Han, like, walks through the ghost or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Obi-Wan's like, oh, crap. You know, like, oh, i got to tell you something real quick. Like, there's this, it's got, i got to do it right now. Um, I just kind of thought that was funny. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's because Luke otherwise might have died. So Obi-Wan appeared to give him some further motivation. Oh, uh, yeah, he was in he was in a pretty rough state at that point. Yeah. He definitely looked like he was on the brink of just Ben giving it up. Dagobah. Giving up the ghost. Which ben. actually that's a good segue. That was something else that I noticed too. Yoda has that line, that that famous line where he's talking about the force and you know, it's it's all around us and 
we're just luminous beings. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, that explains, you know, force ghosts. That's why they're, they're mm-hmm. luminous because that's basically your, your inner self being freed from the crude matter, your actual luminous being that you're seeing in that force ghost. So I thought that was just an interesting thing. Uh, just another one of those things that I hadn't really picked up before that just kind of stood out like, hey, that's a, that's a cool little reference there. And there's a lot of a lot of other interesting references I noticed this time too, whether it be to the other movies or just other, uh, I guess, bigger implications. So, for instance, in Cloud City, you have Han being tortured and everything. You go back to the cell, and he's dumped in there. Um, Lando comes in. He fight. He takes a shot at Lando and gets knocked to the floor and everything. Uh, when they go to pick him up, you have a scene transition. And it's basically the like the same transition you got with when when they picked up C three PO in Star Wars, hmm. where it's like waste his waist and everything acts yeah. as like the transition point for the wipe mm-hmm. and, and everything. So I thought that was like a cool little little callback yeah. to the previous movie in that way. Um, and then last time we were talking about the droids, all the other like droids that are on the Jawa uh, sand crawler and everything. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what do they use those for? And and I would say maybe at least half of those droids actually make an appearance in this movie, especially at like the rebel base. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Um, you have like that, like that one droid that has just all the different like arms and things like that sticking out of it. Mm-hmm. You see one of those rolling around um, in the hangar. Obviously, you have the one droid uh, helping out Han and everything. So I thought that was that was interesting. That yeah, they had that callback and the, si- the silver uh, protocol droid. Ichota, Ichota. <laughs> I love that guy. We, I don't think we know what that he means, but how rude! <laughs> it's really it's fun. It's not to say. pleasant. Also, on the topic of droids, we have to talk about three PO because I think three PO is one of the highlights of this movie because <laughs> he is, you know, in in a New Hope, like he has some comic relief. Actually, I guess he is primarily comic relief, but you know, he makes some valid points, and in this one, he does too. But I feel like they pushed his comedy a little further in this one. Like my favorite three PO line is in Empire, when you know they're they're back on the Falcon after escaping Cloud City, and R two's been putting him back together, but he left one leg off to go fix the hyperdrive, and he's like, "Come back here at once! You're not done with me. You're not done with me. Chewie can fix the Falcon. I'm standing here in pieces, and you're having delusions of grandeur." <laughs> Yeah, there are there are a lot of great moments with uh, 3PO. Like you have that moment back at the Rebel base on Hoth when he's talking to R2 about um, was it like the heater in Leia's room yeah. and how mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always loved yeah. that line. Yeah. They they definitely upped the quantity of the banter between he and R2, which mm-hmm. is interesting that it works that well because we don't even know what R2's saying. Mm-mm. Yeah, but it's very one-sided. Yeah, but there's a certain banter between them, and just based on the the tone of R2's beeps, you can assume that everything well, of he's it's freezing. Yeah, everything that he's saying is probably a better point than whatever three PO saying. Also, imagine that like R2's whatever he's saying is profanity laced. Yeah, like I just get the feeling that R2 is just like a bad little machine, <laughs> and he's just constantly like you know a foul mouth little robot who's very independent and very strong-willed um i mean like you, you, you just get to, i mean he literally like tries to steal the thing from yoda <laughs> like can't <laughs> no nope, can't, can't have that mm-hmm. 
Mine, 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 mine. Making <laughs> um, Well, that's what I was going to say too. Yeah, you have that great banter back and forth, but if you think about it, they're only together there at the beginning and, and at the end. You yeah. have the whole middle section where and it's satisfying when they're together again. There's something weirdly yeah, satisfying you, you, to me when R2 finds 3PO or 3PO spots R2, I guess. Yeah, and you you feel the same joy that I guess you're meant to assume that he feels by their them being reunited. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, cool, they're back. Yeah. And that's kind of like, too, you know, we were talking about in our last one about the relationship between Luke and Han. This movie, I would say, helps to further that more Mm -hmm. uh, as well, even though they're only together there for the first 30 minutes of the movie, and then they're separated the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. But, But even in that short amount of time, there's so much such great relationship building going on between the two of them, whether it's, yeah, the whole, you know, uh, talking on the intercoms and then Han going out after him later on. Yeah. Um, and then even when he gets back, you know, they kind of allude to this history that's there, but in just such a great way to where you can really see how their relationship has flourished and how close they are at this point. Yeah, and it kind of, that kind of goes back to what you were saying about the the consistent setups and payoffs, you know, in in a new hope, the only time you really get that I don't I don't even want to say banter, but the only scene where they really interact super closely, I feel like is, you know, Obi-Wan has gone off to uh to to disable the tractor beam on the Death Star and, you know, where did you dig up that old fossil? And they had that whole conversation. <laughs> But then you don't really get much more of that. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, we're, I guess we're meant to assume that that relationship builds and builds. Because then, yeah, the beginning of the movie, Han risks his life to go save Luke. Well, and they're literally on patrol together. I mean, it starts yeah. right out of the gate. I mean, they're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that's sort of a payoff from that first movie. And then, yeah, it just it builds from there. You know, Han saves Luke and then... You know, you get a little bit more of that banter between the two. You look strong enough to pull the ears off a of Gundark. And then, you know, towards the end, you know, Luke abandons his Jedi training to go save his friends because he has visions of of Han being frozen and, and always, all being in danger. I've always found, and I, I have a new found uh, appreciation for Luke going off to save Han and Leia. Because I've always just thought, you know, well, they're friends, and so that that's why he's going after them. But then you, if you kind of zoom out a little bit, you understand that literally Han is taken captive because of Luke. The, he's all it's bait. It's only because of Luke, and I think that's why the character Luke feels so compelled to do whatever he has to do to save Han because it's literally all Luke's fault feels responsible he, for sure but he is responsible i mean yeah. that's the thing like the whole thing is about him yeah. um and you also have to recognize too that you know luke grew up as an only child right um he's never had a brother and so yep. in a lot of ways that is what han is to him and at all this of his point. friends leave we get that from a new hope all of his friends leave or or get killed or get killed <laughs> or burned alive yeah so han is yeah the first the, yeah, the other close thing to a brother he's had, and he gets a built-in pet, I guess, in yeah, Chewie. Absolutely. He, has a, he has a, now has a six-foot dog to take care of as well. Okay. <laughs> Throw dog treats every so often, <laughs> or scratch behind the ear yeah. as he says bye. Golly, there's so many, so many great things. Um, well, let me throw out the line I hate the most from this movie. 
two fighters against a Star Destroyer. <laughs> I hate that guy. Well, okay, so to play devil's advocate, that whole scene is almost kind of pointless in a way. You know, Leia just talking to the troops or whatever because mm-hmm. the information that she's relaying is unnecessary. Yes, yeah, she's explaining what's about to happen, but, you know, show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, the only the only thing it really does is it kind of just shows that, yes, yeah, she has a position of power when it comes to the troops or whatever. Like, she has a voice, but... I mean, that's already kind of apparent through everything else. So mm-hmm. it really doesn't add that much. And then, yeah, you have that kind of forced line in there. You could almost cut that scene out. Yeah. Um, it's almost kind of like just filler and padding before you get into the big the big battle. And how so. cool are the starships from A New Hope and Empire? I mean, th- that's one thing that those movies, I think, did really well. This stuff is so cool. Like, because in Empire, you have the snow speeders with the cables. You have the AT-ATs. It's the first time we see those. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Jake specifically has talked about um, how, how influential that was. And then, you know, the ATSTs, um, you have the, the Bespin uh, cloud cars. And um, However, I am going to say, though, <clears throat> the introduction of the Super Star Destroyer yes. is kind of lazy and ridiculous in a way. It's like, well, what's... Better than a Star Destroyer? A Super, super Star Destroyer. <laughs> and then we get a Super Duper Star Destroyer. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, it's not heinous. It They make it work. But at the same time, if you really, if you really stop to think about it, it's kind of like, eh, they, they, they could have done maybe a little better. I do agree with you. But I let it pass because the Super Star Destroyer looks even cooler than a Star Destroyer does. It does. I think... That's, okay. And it isn't Vader's ship called like the Executioner or something? Executor, <laughs> like, that's true. And the thing's like all black and pointy and kind of yes. looks like a Lamborghini. And like the engines are red instead of blue. Yeah. Like um, everything about that ship just it's looks cool. so sick. It's cool. So it's fine. And I love one of my favorite characters from the original trilogies is the captain of the Super Star Destroyer. Is it a captain? Is it Theot or Piet? Piet. Piet. Captain Piet. Captain Piet, who becomes Admiral, Admiral Piet. Piet. Because Admiral, Talk about a great promotion right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that guy because he's a guy who, like, constantly seems to be second-guessing himself. Like, you never, he never seems confident. It's because he knows he's at Ever. risk of being strangled to death um, at that, all times. <laughs> well, the mustache Admiral gets killed, and then Captain Nita Admiral gets killed. Admiral Ozzel. Ozzel? Say Ozzel. Yes. And then Captain Nita gets killed later. So, like, mm-hmm. his contemporaries are being strangled to death in front of him over and over. But Well, I love that you, you do get that moment there where you kind of get a glimpse at some of the infighting, though, between the officers. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a great point. Uh, between Ozzel and Piet and everything. And they even linger long enough to where you see, like, Ozzel glare at Piet before he walks off and yeah. everything. Yeah, that's uh, it. The rebels are there. Also, let's, let's take a second to appreciate how awesome Nita's death scene is. We don't actually see him die. He just sort of crumples to the floor right after the transition, and then we get apology accepted to Captain Nita. Like <laughs> that is that is such such a good because they're not even in the same place, right? Oh wait, no, no, that one they are in the same place. Uh, okay, it's Ozzel that gets yes. strangled over the transmission over the, yeah, <laughs> over the, the hologram. Yeah, but that's right because Pia tells Vader. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, but Nita like. It just, it, we get the fade, and then, yeah, he just sort of crumples to the floor, and then we have Vader's line, and that's just such a good example of how scary Darth Vader is. 
Mm-hmm. Like, we don't really get a good scope of how f- scary this dude is in A New Hope. It's just mm-hmm. sort of like, oh, he's the the strong guy in black that kills the Jedi. But then we get to this one, and it's like, whoa, this dude is actually... He's still the enforcer. That's one thing I, I admire about just the characters in Empire. You know, in A New Hope, Vader is, is menacing... And, you know, he's second fiddle to Tarkin in many ways as far as the villain. In this movie, Vader is the villain. You know, mm-hmm. the Emperor is some ambiguous figure whom we see so briefly. And so Vader is the main villain here. And and I also love that the Emperor demands you make contact. Like, turn the ship around right now. Well, going back to yeah, that, that whole infighting and everything, what I love about that is... It kind of helps to keep it grounded and realistic because, mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about mm-hmm. that in the last one about how what's great about these movies is that, yes, it's a sci-fi story that's, that's you know, uh, you know, fiction, and yet they still somehow find a way to keep it grounded when it comes to the relationships and the interactions between the people, mm-hmm. even the empire, because, you know, nowadays in movies, it, it's real easy for them to, to just be very one-dimensional mm-hmm. and just make them look like a bunch of like bad guys that just do bad things because they're bad. Whereas now you just you, you get to see kind of like that that behind the scenes drama that, you know, would exist that happens every day in corporations and uh, in organizations across the globe. So And I love I love, love, love that bounty hunters, we don't need their scum. Like if there's something worse than the big, bad, powerful, you know, resource-rich empire. It's the scrappy, one-off, like, all-by-himself, lone wolf bounty hunter. There's something, I've always felt like the bounty hunters, there's something so scary about that. And the juxtaposition of the bounty hunters there with Vader, and Vader basically is like, this big heavy machine that is the empire has been unsuccessful at finding him but i'm going to resort to basically like sewer trash Mm -hmm. Um, i'm gonna bring some independent contractors yeah and like i love that and like even boba fett's interactions with vader just totally unafraid of him yes no disintegrations right and vader is that's a great point and vader's like kind of pulling the leash on boba fett like that's one thing I think they did so well in this movie is they make the uh, mercenaries so menacing that even a Vader character has to warn them, like, there are boundaries here. Don't cross the boundaries. And then to see Boba Fett, what about my bounty? He's worthless to me dead. You know? Yeah, like, Boba Fett shows no no fear at no all. No fear. See, my, my one of my few grievances with this movie is that we don't see more of the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Granted, most people just want to see Boba Fett, but I've always thought Bosk was super cool. Mm-hmm. And we just get the one like gross shot of his foot, and then nah. him, and then him make that. <laughs> he's he's the killer croc of Star Wars, mm-hmm. and I want to see more of that. Or IG eighty eight, like this insane assassin droid. That like, what about that isn't cool? Yep. And also, supposedly, I saw this in a, an Easter egg video in the scene where where Chewie is in the uh, the little furnace room with the little small goblin people on Cloud City. Mm-hmm. Harry Potter uh, goblins. Yeah, and he's collecting the pieces of 3PO. 
right next to the furnace, there is a shot of one of those droids. The it's a white one. Yeah, and supposedly that was supposed to be like one of the IG-88. So I don't know if there's like hmm. an army of them. Or I think if I remember it as the story goes, like IG-88 went rogue along with some other droids yeah. of his make and model. And that was another one of them, which mm-hmm. is really cool. I, I agree with you. I love the bounty hunters. And I just love that it was a it was a simple, quick, easy way for the the riders uh, and the people who made the movie to inject a new, like, because you sit there and you go, how could it be worse than this? If you're Han and Leia, how can it be worse than this? And then suddenly you go, oh yeah, like it's it's worse all of a sudden. And there's there's also some some commentary too, like you were saying, you know, what's what's worse than the Empire? So you get these scrappy things, these these you know gnarly bounty hunters or whatever it kind of shows the incompetency of a big operation mm-hmm. like the empire like how easy it is for them to just have all these oversights i mm-hmm. guess like they can't really dial in on minuscule things because they are so large so it's easier for vader at this point to just hire your boba fett's and your bosks and whomever else even in the the comics um and i th- in the Rebels TV series, which not to go off on a too terrible of a tangent, but to get rid of the remaining Jedi, he hires Inquisitors rather than just sending out waves and waves and waves of stormtroopers because he knows. Yeah, you can definitely say that there's maybe like a subtle underlying theme because even when, you know, Lando's talking about Cloud City and how the reason why they're so successful is because they're a small operation mm-hmm. that isn't noticed by the bigger cartels or whatever it was he refers to, the bigger unions and, and whatnot that exist, that basically, yeah, the, it's almost like they're making a point that, yes, smaller operations are better than those bigger, cumbersome... Yeah, they fly under the radar. Mm-hmm. Literally, for the Millennium Falcon. Um, Which, speaking of that, if we want to go to a criticism. Why doesn't the Empire have more windows? I mean, why wasn't somebody able just to able to look out and see, hey, look, you got a ship attached to the back of you over there. You might want to, you know, get that checked out. Because dark, 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 and evil, and darkness. Because that's where the gymnasium was, obviously. They had an employee workout facility, I'm sure. And yeah. plus, like, Han says something about, like, the landing claw. So does that mean, like, they literally physically, like, latched onto the ship? Yes. Nobody heard that? Or, like, it didn't crunch into somebody's room <laughs> or something like that? I mean. Also, I love that Han knows the procedure for dumping trash because he was a former Imperial pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, that's a, Talk about, you mentioned small things. That is one of the small things in this movie that I love. Like, no one ever says it out loud. It's not on the nose, but, like, that's why Han Solo knows. Yeah. Because he had gone to the Academy. He was an Imperial pilot. It's an implication. Mm. Also, Boba Fett, if he realized that Vader was Anakin, would he connect the dots and be like, oh, yeah, like, your buddy killed, cut my dad's head off back on Geonosis? That's a good question. Like, they have met before. So, one thing I want to ask, then... Uh, as great as this movie is, one of the big criticisms that always comes up is the passage of time in this movie. That, you know, you have all these great things that happen in it, you know, with Luke's training and things like that, and yet it takes place over what, just the course of a couple days or or, or what? Um, and then, yeah. so then you have that say, well, that's not enough time for him to do what he needs to do. Or, and, and I'll admit, they do kind of take some liberties with the time in this movie. So go ahead and yes, speak a little bit on that. 
I've always assumed it takes place over about a week. Yeah. That's that was just an assumption I've made. Like I've assumed that the time spent inside the asteroid worm was days. Um, not just a not just a few hours. I've always assumed it was a couple of days. Um, and then I've always felt like there was some time that they were on Cloud City before Luke arrives. Mm-hmm. Like, I've I've always imagined that that was probably because you have them getting there, and I've always just assumed that you know them getting all cleaned up and whatever, like they're going to dinner, and then ultimately meeting Vader is the day after they get there, and then mm-hmm. you know maybe Luke arrives the following day or something like that. Because enough time has passed for the Falcon to have been in the shop. Yeah. It's been, mm-hmm. it's, you know, people have been working on it. Yeah, so I've always just assumed the Cloud City thing takes place over three or four days. Yeah. Which lines up because that would put, yeah, the whole movie roughly about a week long because you've got two or three days that you see on Hoth. So then Hoth and Dagobah and Bespin, like, are really close to each other because, that's a, I mean, that's travel right. time is... Because you got to think about travel time and everything. Like, but light speed. Yes, sure, yes, you have light speed. Um, even though we never... We don't see it too much except for the very end of the movie, so... But see, the Falcon never uses light speed, though. So... It so can't. Bespin must be pretty close to Hoth. To Hoth, yes. And Dagobah be, could be far away, but... I mean, Luke could Luke could use lightspeed yeah. because X-wings do have it. Although he does say that he wants to keep it on manual for a while, so maybe we're meant to assume that it's fairly close by as well. Mm-hmm. They're just staying in this one little corner. Yeah. How cool is Dagobah, by the way? I don't want to overlook the fact that Yoda picks a planet shrouded in dark side power mm-hmm. to live because he knows he's so powerful with the Force that he'll be found out anywhere else. Well, so he was... builds a hut in a, on a swamp planet surrounded by the dark side of the Force. Well, that was that was another question that I had was, you have that moment when Luke, you know, finally senses the cave and is like, oh, it's cold. Mm-hmm. But at that moment when that happens, he's going and picking up his jacket after he finishes training with Yoda. Yeah. So why did he all of a sudden sense the cave then? Why didn't he sense it earlier when he set his jacket down there? See, now, I've always thought he's becoming more Force-sensitive. Mm-hmm. That more was my than, assumption. More attuned because of the training. I also love the line, for all of Yoda's great lines, I love the, what will I find? Only what you take with you. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, because, you know, we have the hindsight of knowing what he's about to find or the foresight, I should say. But what a great line. Mm -hmm. That is a great line. And what I thought was interesting, too, is to kind of, I guess, be a little speculative here. What would have happened if he hadn't brought his ah, weapons? If he hadn't taken his weapons, your weapons, you will not need. Them. I because because obviously that that deterrent. What that shows us is by him bringing his weapons in there again, and that that goes back to showing his lack of faith mm-hmm. in the force. It shows that he's afraid because he feels like he needs his weapons there to protect him. And again, fear leads to the dark side. Let's play. You know, let's play devil's advocate a little bit here and say. What if the decision to take his weapons resulted in what he found in the cave? Exactly. That's what I'm thinking is because he basically was, by bringing his weapons with him, because he was afraid, 
that shows he was kind of going down, starting down the path of dark side, which resulted in him having that vision. So if he didn't bring his weapons with him and didn't didn't show that he was going down that dark side path, would he would he've had a different vision? Yep, that's a good point. Also, love that Yoda does not have training equipment on Dagobah, like when he's (laughs) training Luke. And I'm being, you know, because this is a beef that I have with the prequels. Um, I love that because you get the sense that becoming a Jedi is not like an assembly line process. No. Based on what we see in Empire, you get the feeling that like it's like, you know, um, Arthur learning under Merlin. It's like you learn under a master and there's no science to it. There's, It's not school. There's not... Um, you know, a syllabus. I love that it's just like, okay, so you want to become a Jedi. Well, you know, gotta learn how to lift some rocks, bro. Lift some rocks, swing, swing on some vines. Right. Uh, it's also the fact that everything was destroyed, though. That's and true. Yeah. Now, he didn't have the time said, to grab anything and take it with that, him. That's it. To go off slightly, there is a um, in another one of the the Star Wars Marvel comics. I believe it is Jocasta New, the librarian from uh, Attack of the Clones. She shows up in one of the, the comics hmm. that was released fairly recently, and she actually did save quite a few things. But it ends up, spoilers, ultimately ends up being self-destructed uh, for fear that the Empire will find hmm. it. So, hmm. yeah, all of the tools that they did have um, that, that have been destroyed by this time. So... You know, I think Yoda probably just has to resort back to a more primitive way of training, which is probably for the best Best, anyway. I mean, Uh, it worked out better for Luke than it did for Anakin. Mm -hmm. Well, before we move on, I just wanted to say real quick about that training and everything. Kind of tie it back to the setup and payoff. You have that moment where Yoda says, you know, judge me by my size, do you? And it's like, well, yeah, when Luke first landed... Part of why he didn't realize that he was Yoda is because he was judging him by his size, mm-hmm. that he just saw him as this weird little global creature. <laughs> Annoying thing. Um, so I thought that was just kind of a funny little callback that he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, judge me by my size. Well, you did, but you shouldn't. So Looking, kid. Found someone you have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I did also, I guess, want to touch on the filmmaking a little bit, the filmmaking aspect of the movie. Um, you know, it's obviously it's a great movie because of the story, but also it's it is very well crafted. And what was standing out to me, you know, we we talk about practical effects and everything, so that includes your stop motion. So you know that whole Battle of Hoth with the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the ATATs. Uh, I mean, even today by by today's standards, still still Top holds notch. up yeah. so well. Done by the same guy that did uh, Alien and I believe some of Jurassic Park as hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I always forget his name, but there is a brief documentary I watched on him uh, that Vice did, and it's mm. very, very interesting. So, yeah, so a lot of great stuff there. And then, you know, talking about Yoda, I mean, he's just he's just a puppet, but they do so many great things with him. And, and the puppet itself is so expressive. I mean, you, you do forget that, yeah, it is just a puppet, and you really genuinely start to believe that it is this alien, this character that's talking and and acting out in this mm-hmm. universe but you, you asked about questions there's one thing that stood out to me there's this moment when when chewie's getting into the the falcon with c-3po on his back and he <laughs> ducks down and c-3po's like ow ow stop it 
and everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. In that moment, is three is, is PO actually feeling pain, or is that just like a programmed response to? Pro- probably programmed, and once again goes back to three PO being comic relief. Uh, I think it's just <laughs> turn around, Chewbacca. <laughs> it's just something to make the the children giggle. I would think. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about that before. Do in Attack of the Clones, Obi Wan, mm-hmm. Obi Wan has the line to uh, Dexter Jester, you know, if droids could think, there would be none of us here, would there? But then by the time we get to the original trilogy, three PO says a lot of things that implies that he has some sort of thought process. R two squeals when he gets shot in A New Hope. Yeah. So maybe my my thinking would be, and of course this is just you know fanboyism and speculation and whatever like maybe technology has advanced even further to the point that droid programming is similar to you know human-like emotion by this point so yeah maybe he doesn't feel pain it's just he knows that it's happening and that's what a human would say and that actually that reminds me of another little setup and payoff that was great in the movie uh you have you know luke and r2 getting ready to land on dagobah and R2 asks, is it safe for droids? And and Luke is like, yeah, of course it's safe for droids. And then, of course, they land. He he gets <laughs> in the water, gets swallowed by a monster. Yeah. And it's like, well, maybe it's not quite so safe for you here, buddy. Sorry about that. that <laughs> but no, and, no attention is drawn to it, but it's just this nice little subtle line. That And, and Luke's just general disrespect of R2. Like, yeah, it's safe for droids. And, you know, he ends up getting drenched. And then... Uh, while while Luke is eating soup or whatever in Yoda's little hut, there's the quick shot of of R two outside in the rain, on his little tippy toes, trying to look through the window, little tip wheels or whatever, trying to look in the window. And every time I see that scene, even now, it's like poor R two. What did he do to deserve that? He's he must him, be lonely. <laughs> also, at times he tells him like go go prep the ship. Yeah, like R two to me has always been basically a dog. He's basically like a pet figure, um, and he like th- there is a certain amount of affection I think that Luke feels toward him, but he's also there to perform duties. Yeah, um, that's a good point about the droids. I mean, they serve they serve really interesting roles in these films um, for that reason. And then the fact that some are bad, I've always thought that was weird. Like you had the droids who were bad that. <laughs> Um, like that guy, he's mean. <laughs> How rude! Um, I love that the I love the recurring plot point that the Falcon doesn't run right. Like I would, what I don't, a piece of junk. Like I don't know mm-hmm. what happens between a New Hope and Empire that it, you know, is in such bad shape. But uh, I, that was just a a really. And again, that's set up even just from the very beginning of the movie. You right. have Chewie and Han working, working on, on it. it. They're on Hoth, having all these issues with it right off the bat, and it just plays out as a thread through the rest of the movie. The sound of it failing to start while they're trying to escape. Would it help if I get out and pushed? In my. And then even Lando refers to it as the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. Yeah. Are we going to end this without talking about the fact that this is when we figure out that Vader is Luke's dad? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We can't we, we can't, can't have a conversation that. about Empire. I mean, this is the most iconic line in movie history. Like you could talk about Casablanca, or um, what's the the other one? You know, the line from Gone with the Wind. But 
yeah. pretty sure I Am Your Father is the most well-known movie line ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the point that, I mean, people, yeah, I mean, people that have never seen Star Wars a day in their life, which how those people exist still baffles me and is sort of <laughs> offensive to a degree. But even those people know this line and know what it means. Yeah. So, which makes it even cooler when you see, you know, now I've, I've, the last couple of years I've seen a lot of videos on YouTube of like parents showing their kids Empire for the first time mm-hmm. and their kids don't know it yet. Yeah, those reaction videos. Yeah, and, and they have these like just the most pure responses. And I saw one fairly recently of, you know, a, a girl that looked like she was probably mid-20s and didn't know somehow. And she saw it and she had the same shock. And it's just so cool to see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember seeing it for the first time. I, I just felt like I had to tell somebody. Yeah, like, I, I must tell someone. <laughs> how do you think? How do you think that goes differently if Luke walks into the carbon freezing chamber, Vader standing there, Luke ambles up the stairs, he draws his lightsaber, and Vader goes, "Hey, I'm your father." <laughs> Like, how do you think... Come with me now, son. Why? I mean... Yeah. You know, have you ever wondered that? Why? <laughs> Give Daddy a hug. Did, if they just didn't have the fight. <laughs> no, but see, that's that's just it, though, is before revealing that, he wanted to test Luke. That's basically what that comes down to. Oh, I see. Because that was all just a test. Because, I mean, even from the very beginning, like, Vader's not taking it seriously. He starts out yeah. by fighting one-handed. Yeah. And then as he gets a little more serious, he puts two hands on his lightsaber. Then he just starts hacking away, like really starting to lay into Luke, really just testing his boundaries. And once Luke has proven himself, that's when he's like, hey, kid, I'm your dad. Together, we can we can kill the emperor, and we can rule the galaxy together. That's Come with point. me. Let's do it now. You have what it takes. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, like, yeah, if he wasn't that strong, if he was able to just, you know, freeze him and everything, yeah. then it wouldn't have mattered so much. But but by Luke proving himself that way, he was worthy of being Vader's son. Not necessarily Anakin's son, but Vader's son. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Like, if he'd been, you know, so easily captured, would he have even bothered telling him at all? Yeah. Would, would Vader just see him as another expendable mm-hmm. resource? Like he has, you know, all of these admirals and, I mean, he kills, what, three admirals over the course of this movie. <laughs> so, basically, would he just be another uh, another Nazi? Well, I've said it before to you both. I think my favorite character of all the movies is Luke because you take this kid, this 20-year-old guy who grew up in the middle of nowhere on, like, a moisture farm. And his dad, his uncle was mean to him, and he comes from literally nothing, had nothing to his name. To finding out that your dad is like second in command of the whole galaxy. This father figure that you have to know you fantasized about your whole life. Um, You're part of this ragtag group of people. Your dad is the second most powerful, second richest man in the galaxy. And he is extending the ultimate invitation for you to get on board this thing. All you have to do is take my hand. I know I just cut your hand off, but all you have to do now is take my hand. I have the best medical equipment in in the galaxy. I have all, you will never need money again. You will never lack for anything. 
all you have to do is come with me. We will overthrow the emperor and will rule as father and son. I know the emperor is a bad guy, but I can overthrow him and then I'll rule. I'm a good, I can do this. I'll rule and I'll bring order to the galaxy. That's always Anakin's uh, mission. And to think if you're Luke, I mean, how do you turn that down? And I would say that it goes back to that relationship with his friends. That the reason why is because he remembers at that moment, the reason he reacts is because he remembers this is the guy who has been torturing my friends, Mm -hmm. who has brought all of this pain and suffering upon all of us. Like, I can't believe this is my father. I want to have nothing to do with him whatsoever. I would rather jump into an endless pit Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. to go with him right now. Yeah, this is the guy that's ultimately responsible for the the murder of his aunt and uncle who yes his uncle was mean to him but they were his parents you know raised him from a child murdered Ben yeah killed murdered Ben his and, mentor in front of him and then yeah froze Han in carbonite and which I guess at that point he doesn't probably doesn't know that Han's frozen you know he sees the little thing go by but he probably I guess we have to assume that but, Yoda tells him also on Dagobah like this Vader guy murdered all the Jedi including the children. Yeah, like well, I mean, straight and, up murdered kids, and uh, you know, Ben has Ben has already told him, you know, Vader betrayed and murdered your father. So even when he finds out that he is his father, like he could probably make the assumption that, like, okay, well, if he did it, you know, even though he might not have done it to my dad because he is my dad, he probably did that to a lot of people. Yeah, because the Jedi were much bigger than this at one point. Mm-hmm. And if you can put yourself in Vader's shoes. You have to feel like that's that request almost seems to be made in earnest. Like, if you can backtrack, if you're Anakin, and you look back and you go like, I killed my wife, um, who, you know, I don't have her. This was his plan. Mm-hmm. His plan was for him and Padme to rule the galaxy together. This is the next best thing. Like, are you kidding? Like, yeah. turns out I have a second shot at this. I ruined the first shot. I have another chance to do this. Me, the Skywalkers, we will take our place. Finally. Well, and I think he also, if Luke joins him, that's sort of taking pity on Luke as well because you kind of get the vibe that he wants that to begin with during the scene with the Emperor. When he makes the call to the Emperor and Palpatine says, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have no doubt that the kid who destroyed the Death Star is the son of Skywalker, and uh, you know he could be a threat to us or whatever. And Vader says he's just a boy, and you, you know, given the tone, it sounds as though he's almost—he's defensive. Yeah, like he—he's almost an apologist You're for right. Luke. Because you definitely get the sense that the Emperor just wants him killed. Uh, like, is Vader just the one who says him. he would be a powerful ally? Yes, yes. he would be. So if Vader's... he could be turned, he—he's. He could be a. That's an ally. interesting point. Yeah, yeah, the emperor. Yeah, as far as the emperor's concerned, Luke could be dead, and he'd like, be fine with it. Which Vader's the one that convinced him that says, "Well, let's." let's the turn the one grievance is by this point, Vader already knows that Luke is Luke is his son. Once again, back to the comics. There's this really cool scene after the first story arc that they did in the 2015 series, where he's hired Boba Fett to get some information on the kid who destroyed the Death Star. And at the end of the the book, Boba comes back and, you know, not much is known, but I have a name, Skywalker. 
So he already knows that he's he's hmm. you know descendant of him, and he sort of mm-hmm. plays that off, plays that off to Palpatine. But that explains why, from the beginning of the movie, he's so determined to find. Yeah, he's like and obsessed with finding Luke. Yeah, determined I mean, to catch him, not blow the planet up, like let not exactly. not blow the planet up and kill everyone, not attack the base from space, and kill everyone. Not like he's intent on capturing him. Like, he could have rolled in with a Star Destroyer in that asteroid field and just blown the whole thing to pieces. Like, Mm -hmm. do we know that Vader doesn't know that Luke's not with Han and Leia? Like, we can assume that he probably thinks Luke's with them. Yeah, it's it's hard to tell exactly what what Vader knows at that point. But he's hell-bent on capturing the Millennium Falcon. We know that. Yeah. Yes. And I think probably part of that is we can assume he thinks either... He's either with them or they know where he is. Exactly. That's... But he doesn't. An, he doesn't annihilate them. He is out to capture them. Mm-hmm. So my my point to this is: is this the first time that we start to see that good invader that Luke knows is there, because he's taking pity on Luke, and that's the that's the only time we see any compassion out of Vader, even slightly shown. But then we get to to Jedi, and you know we hear Luke say, you know. There's good in him. I know it. So. Yeah, you can definitely make an argument that that the, even though it seems like throughout the whole movie he's just obsessed with trying to find Luke for the sake of his mission, that no, it's, it is out of compassion. It is out of a kind of fatherly love that he's... Mm-hmm. And that's why, yes, he, in his own way, essentially begs the Emperor to spare his life, that no, let's, let's turn him instead... Exactly. This is this is well, the first of that. I think it. I think that's true. But I think it's also again. I have to go back to like, there's a vindication for Padme as well. Like, this is a piece of Padme. Like this, this is a piece of my you know dead wife in a sense. That sounds terrible, but like, you get the feeling that knowing the whole story, like of course Vader wants Luke to join him. He doesn't want to kill him, like. And it's also maybe some redemption. It's a re- there, that's the word I'm looking be, for. Because he's he's in his own mind. Yeah, because he's he can redeem. He's himself. already had to live with the torture of knowing that yeah. he, you know, he was he did everything that he did to try to save his wife, and ultimately he's the one that killed her, and so he's already had to live yeah. with this. In his own mind, he can vindicate what happened by saving Luke, by taking care of Luke, and that you know someday in whatever afterlife he believes in, like, he'll be reconciled with Padme because I made it right. I found our son. I made it right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely personal. Like, it's it's definitely personal for Vader. Um, and seems legitimately dejected when they get away. Yeah. You know, at the end, you were talking about that scene where the Falcon finally hits the hyperdrive or goes into light speed. And that scene that you talked about, you love so much. Yeah, I was so going to say, I guess to kind of wrap this up, let's go ahead and talk about maybe our favorite scenes or at least moments um, from the movie. And so I'll, yeah, use as a segue to mine, my kind of my favorite shot of, of the movie. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in it, but my favorite is, yeah, the Millennium Falcon, the hyperdrive finally does kick in thanks to R2, and it gets away, and Vader's looking out the window, and he goes to turn... But then he stops, turns to look back one more time like, did that really just happen? Ah, yeah. And then he starts walking away. 
Like just just that little character moment right there. Just like, wait, did that? Ah, it's almost like I would say Vader knows that was his chance. mm -hmm. Like Luke was vulnerable. Luke was hurt. That was his best shot. Mm-hmm. And then that's and then it's quickly followed up by probably maybe my second favorite shot where he's walking away and he's he's leaving leaving the bridge and he walks past this one little imperial officer that's like working on his notebook and then that officer like looks after Vader like whoo dodged a bullet there I'm glad it didn't take his anger out on me <laughs> before going back to work again safe. <laughs> so what about y'all favorite scenes moments? Uh... I mean, I don't, I don't want to use the whole, you know, battle scene on Hoth because, you know, it's just very generic. But, uh, you know, the first time you see the AT-ATs walking, at, walking in from a distance definitely always stands out to me. Because, like I said in the last episode, some of my oldest memories I have are of not plot points, but, you know, from the first few times I saw the movie just... Goes back to the, the great the image of the AT-ATs walking in the snow. Great visual storytelling again. Yeah, that... that that image is ingrained in my mind and has been since I was four years old. So that's super powerful for me. Because um, it's another example of show, don't tell. Like, they don't talk a lot. Exactly. It's just you're getting, you know, the shot of the, the, the troopers out in the snow looking through their, you know, binoculars and everything and just weighing what's about to, to come, come exactly. at them. Exactly. Um, as far as favorite scenes, um, just brief ones. You know, like the one I already mentioned of, of 3PO standing there half-constructed with a missing leg, uh, bantering with R2. I, just, I love that so much. And um, the discussion between Yoda, Ben, and Luke when they're trying to convince him not to go to, to Cloud City. It's just, I don't know, just something about seeing the three of them all together for me is, is really special. That's so, it's, it's really hard. I would say... Aesthetically, I, there are a couple of scenes that stand out to me. One of them is that final shot of Luke with his arm around Leia, and they're on the medical freighter, and 3PO and R2 are there, and they're looking out the big bay window um, into space, and Lando and Chewie are on the Falcon, and they jet off to Tatooine. That scene is so beautiful, and it's just so... I could just sit there and look at it. Um, so bittersweet in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was in the, the, the theatrical cut or not, but in the, uh, I know in the special editions, before we go inside the ship and see, you know, Luke's fingers being prodded with the needle or whatever, there's the quick shot of the the convoy of ships mm-hmm. in space. And we see that one, and it just sort of like pans over and like zooms into it and, it gives us this nice, clean transition into it, and it's just so cool the way it's that's kinda, edited together. It's like comforting that more of the Alliance has survived. Like, you know, up until yes. that point, we don't really know what the Alliance is yeah. or who made it off Hoth. Um, that, and I've always loved the scene where Luke is hanging upside down on the antenna, and he is like, you know, Ben, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And then you can see his face, and this is great acted by Mark Hamill, you see his face kind of reconcentrate, and he Leia, and I love the shot of Leia's face with the you know the red sunset mm-hmm. behind her through the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Lando's like tinkering around with things, and Chewie's sitting there, and Leia's like, "We have to go back," and Chewie's like, 
Absolutely, no question. And Lando's like, "What about?" And Chewie basically is like, "Sit yourself down, like, like you're <laughs> all lucky. right, all right, right." Like yeah. Chewie's like, "You're lucky we even brought you." And I just, I love that dynamic. Like, yes, Leia and Chewie, like this is the team, you know. And yeah. like Chewie makes it clear, you're an outsider, dude. Like, you have not earned your place yet. Like, we're gonna deal with you when we're out of this. But for right now. By the way, you're the one going up on the roof to get him. Like, yep. Um, not only are you not driving, but like you got the crap job here. Yeah, literally, um, Leia's in the pilot seat at that point. Right, Leia and Chewie are flying the thing, and like, and, and Luke's never met Lando, so Luke's never just met this random dude coming up to pick him up. <laughs> so who isn't Han Solo? Uber <laughs> coming through the roof hatch. Um, and then from that point on, you know the the escape um, is so. The drama of those last few minutes. Yeah, it's of, so weighty. It's so weighty. And Luke's like lying in like a, he's almost out of it. Um, and Leia's like, I'll be back. You know, stay right here. I'll be back. And then like R2's trying to fix 3PO, but he's like, oh, by the way, the city central computer told me, you know better than just trust a strange computer. But like R2's still trying to fix the hyperdrive because we know it's been hijacked. And I just love that sequence of events because it's it's extremely dramatic. But that that's probably my one of my. I, there's so much good in this movie, but that sequence, I think, is so good. Yep, it's it's a great setup that then allows us to go into Return of the Jedi and get that payoff there. Yep. So, awesome. Well, that sounds like a as good a spot as any to wrap up our discussion of Empire for now. Uh, you know, next we'll be talking about Return of the Jedi as we make our way towards that trivia challenge. So, Return of the Jedi is my favorite. So. Unwana Wanga. I cannot wait. So, R2D2. This... <laughs> oh, boy. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. See all you right. soon. We'll see y'all next time.